Welcome to the scene. This is Screen Time. My name is David Chu, and I am a lover of film and pop culture. I am a theatre student here at UNE, and I'm collaborating with Belgrave Cinema and tuned to bring you this show. Screen Time is essentially a program where I review films that are showing in Belgrave and talk and discuss and opinionate. Today is a day. Today is a very hot day. Today is the fifth episode of Screen Time. The movie we have up on screen today is The Hunger Games' Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. This is an action-adventure drama film, directed by one Francis Lawrence, the continued director of all the previous Hunger Games films. This man has been the director for around 90 projects. Over 70 of them are music videos for some big-name celebrities, such as the Black Eyed Peas, Lady Gaga, and Justin Timberlake. Having watched the movie, his experience in the music video industry shows. Kind of makes you wonder how Francis first became the director of The Hunger Games. This man has two upcoming productions, a Bioshock movie and a TV series called Chief of War. Now despite this being a prequel, everything feels crazier than the originals. There are many aspects of the Hunger Games, and many that are not. In this film, we see the rise of Coriolanus Snow in a world where the 10th Hunger Games comes to the capital. It may potentially be the final game. Coriolanus must work together with his new mentee Lucy Gray from once again District 12 to win the games and obtain a prize that could save his family. While they are at it, Coriolanus is tasked with finding ways to potentially continue the games. There may also be some love in the air. A cast of wild characters and a lot of violence. This is set 64 years in the past of the first Hunger Games film. A prequel to the other Hunger Games movies. So watch The Hunger Games, then The Hunger Games Catching Fire, The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1, and finally Mockingjay Part 2. This is also the fifth movie made under The Hunger Games name. This was purely unintentional on my part, but I guess fate made it so. You could also read the books by Suzanne Collins to get a more in-depth and alternative perspective on the series. To your taste. In this film, we have Tom Blythe as Coriolanus Snow, Rachel Zegler as Lucy Gray, Viola Davis as Dr. Volumina Gall, Josh Rivera as Sejanus Plinth, and a special mention to Peter Dinklage as Dean Kaskis Highbottom. Coriolanus is the son of Crassus Snow, a man, and currently an orphan. He wants to win the Plinth Prize to support his adopted family. Lucy Gray is from District 12 and becomes the mentee and interest of Coriolanus. They must try to win the games for their families and lives. Dr. Volomina 
is an experimental weapons developer and an orchestrator of the tenth game. So Janus Plinth is a classmate of Mr. Snow and is someone against the Hunger Games. Mr. Dean Cascus Highbottom is one of the realtors for the Hunger Games and a lovely personality in this film. Now the set, we have essentially anything in the capital to everything outside the capital for sets. If it's in the capital, it is clean, it is organized, exotic, and screaming status. If it is outside the capital, such as District 12, it looks very different. It is dark, stained, or rusty, but there is some cool nature, trees and grass and the lot. The times are different, like a different era or part of history, if you will. I would say District 12, and most likely the other districts as well, show an era of the Industrial Revolution, with the capital being one or two eras ahead of that. Some places also look strangely clean, even though they probably shouldn't be. The dystopian theme still very strong. I enjoyed seeing more of the capital and more of District 12, even if this is set in the past. Both sets combined give a very strong image of dystopia, and I certainly can see this as an unfortunate future. There is a constant unease that is reminiscent for me to the other films. While watching this, watching the characters traverse the different areas, at some points it almost felt unreal in the sense that the world of the movie only seems to exist in the vicinity of these characters, which is a little weird since other places are shown and mentioned, but I suppose that's just the atmosphere playing with my head. Who knows? You may also get this feeling looking at this world of theirs. I would like to special mention the lab of Dr. Wilhelmina Gall. Spacious room, experiments here and there, Mostly empty walls, and just two rows of skeletons that are definitely unnatural. Good crazy doctor vibe. The scenes in this film are interesting, and could also be related to the format of the script. The scenes in this film are spectacular. So basically, the scenes do a good job of showing what the Hunger Games became in a world where the Hunger Games were not yet a spectacle. I almost feel like I am also a part of this world. Every scene shot feels like they are trying to show off a spectacle. And then, being really meta, they have the tributes in a zoo cage as spectacles. I guess you could liken the whole show to being propaganda. In which case, it's amazing for it. Shooting a movie as a whole lot of propaganda is an interesting concept. It really works for this film. Why, you may ask, this a-hole is the president of the games in the future and becomes an a-hole. But somehow I cared for Coria and Lucy and Sejanus. Some may view this as bad writing, and I won't deny towards the end it felt off to me, but having a whole film be propaganda, that somehow works in these scenes. And it's crazy when Coria and Lucy share their special moments when Coria saves Sejanus and when Lucy performs for the audience. 
Each is a spectacle combined with other scenes and momentums. A propaganda-esque prequel movie. If I were some kind of conspiracy theorist, I think I'd go insane. Also, I think it is once again important to mention, because of the set, the time period allows for less spectacular actions and creations for The Hunger Games. And yet, The Hunger Games were still compelling, and with a shorter time frame than multiple other movies. The Hunger Games were still entertaining, and depending on where you look at, an argument could be made that this was more violent and potentially spectacular than some of the other films. Moving on to music, my absolute favourite part of this film. I know it doesn't say musical, but this film is a musical. The scores were good, but Rachel Zeglor, aka Lucy Gray, knocked it out of the ballpark. She did amazing. The vocal emotion, the messages in each song, the amazing vocal control. She is a singer through and through, and I am definitely a fan now. In this film, Lucy Gray sings when there is something to sing for. There is a lot to sing for. The injustice of the tributes, the love she feels for Coriolanus, and the soon-to-be-doomedness of a certain thing in the games. All sang incredibly well, no autotune, just natural voice. In this film, she also sings her version of The Hanging Tree, and believe it or not, she recorded most of her songs in one to two takes. She exceeded all expectations of David Cobb and Francis. She did also prepare her voice for this role as she sang all the songs in a country lady type of voice. Every time she sang, and it was a lot, at least five times, which is more than most non-musical movies do. Every time, I loved it. She's been in musicals before, in only two other movies. You'd have to only hear music as beeps and boops if you didn't enjoy that. I will die on this hill. Now returning back to previous points, a fair amount of spectacle was from Rachel as Lucy singing, first in District 12 as an introduction, and about injustice, and then in front of the Capitol as another introduction. Then, as she's about to die, there are more moments. But I want people to see this movie, so I won't say any more. I also know people may avoid going to things if there's too much positivity, so... Wink, totally don't go to this movie. Go watch something else. Wink, wink. Now, tropes in this film. We have ambition is evil and a foil character. Two classics and two of many tropes in this film. We see ambition is evil in a few forms from Coriolanus and Lucy Gray. The two characters have a good connection for the majority of the film, but the ending leaves Coriolanus betrayed and continuing the games for many years, and Lucy is also betrayed. The one weak point of this film for me was this trope, or tropes, as there was very few scenes and implications for Miss Grey betraying Mr. Snow, and only one or two moments that could have pushed Mr. Snow into completely changing his view. The moments were okay for the betrayals, they just felt late, and only slightly underwhelming. But maybe that is just me. Also, to be clear, Mr. Snow wanted power, 
the girl, money for his family, for his friend to be good and more. Lucy wanted to escape and be herself and the guy. Though many in this film show this trope as well, they are either far less developed or just dead. Thinking about it, ambition in general is a strong theme to this film. There is a significant amount of corruption in everyone. The foil in this film are Coriolanus and Sejanus, though I still think that I liked Coria and his evil was done badly. Essentially, Coriolanus is evil or the character that was willing to dabble in cheating and shall we say, negative impacting activities. Well, Sejanus was the opposite, wanting to do good and stop the games from happening. This trope became a little twisted towards the end where these two almost switched, or do switch, and we see what the opposite is like. The foil trope was a little weird in this one, and the ambitions lead to evil was underwhelming or perhaps late. Coria seemed to only want Lucy to survive, or the money for his family. It flickered a lot, and he was cheating a bit throughout for these things, and then just flickers to wanting to spend time with Lucy. And even then, it seems like this main ambition just changed randomly. Sejanus was constantly bringing, wanting to do good and stop the games. Towards the end, he technically became a rebel and caused some issues. The foils were weird. The acting in this film was pretty cartoonish, in a sense, because everyone was a little bit one-dimensional. It's not the actor's fault, I think, for the most part. And not every character felt one-dimensional. I also don't mind and even like cartoonish. It sounds crazy, I know, to call this film cartoonish. But it's rather hard to explain. I enjoyed everyone's acting. Except maybe Coriolanus Snow. Felt weird is what I will say. Loved Lucy. Thought Sejanus was unrealistic but believable. Our Doctor was appropriately weird and maybe a little evil, and Mr. Highbottom was enjoyable to see, despite his negativity. Enjoyed a lot of the side characters too. Once again, a lot of the characters felt one-dimensional and cartoonish, but I enjoyed seeing all of them. It felt like a lot of character archetypes were just thrown into this film, and everyone just played the heck out of it. It was very enjoyable to see, other than the main few, I enjoyed the one slightly forgettable side character that was a student with Coriolanus and Sejanus that lied and died in less than five minutes. I also enjoyed Reaper from District 11. It was emotional, is all I'll say. It surely will impact you when you watch it as well. The messages in this film are warnings. Be careful of who you love and trust and be careful of who you become. These two messages could probably be applied to the previous films I've discussed, but I'm discussing them this time, and the previous films I've discussed don't exist, so this is important to listen to. Be careful of who you love and trust. Trusting can, in extreme situations, lead to death, death torture, torture, broken hearts, injuries, and much more. In non-extreme situations, would be slightly less intense versions of these. That is an important warning. Could be anyone. Anywhere. 
and even anything. It could be the one shadow from a few blocks back, that moving fountain, etc. Be careful of who you trust. Do you really trust that one guy from that one place at 3am? I hope for your safeties. Be careful of who you become. Everyone is always changing in some ways or another, from small things like once being able to drink milk to not. Then big things like only ever wanting to drive everywhere, or to changing to taking public transport everywhere. These are bad examples. The point is, you could just be a right a-hole one day. You could lose your family, your love, and many other things. I'm not saying don't change, especially since that's impossible. impossible. But be careful of how. There are some things you can control. Hopefully you'll have some support along your journey. Hopefully you won't be an a-hole one day like Coriolanus Snow. And I'm going to gush about Lucy Snow again. Lucy Gray. Again, real quick. Best character, best voice, best design, and performance of the character. I literally don't think I can pick a best scene for her, personally. Hope to see the actor in more films. Reckon it would be a great time. One other thing I would like to discuss is the structure of this film. The film is split into three parts. The Mentor, the Prize, and the Peacekeeper. Part 1 is an introduction to Snow, Lucy, the games, and the general atmosphere. Part 2 is the hunger game for a prize that is never actually gifted. Part 3 was Coriolanus and Lucy in District 12 being a couple with Sejanus, being an idiot, aiding rebels, trying to do good. Then Sejanus is betrayed, and then Snow gets betrayed by Lucy and goes back home. I personally think part 3 was unnecessary. If done differently or better, then yes, it would have been fine, but as it stands, I think part 1 and 2 of this film were the best. The first two parts were solid pacing, solid world building, interaction, action, etc. Part 3 felt like it was rushed and semi came out of nowhere. They probably could have left it ambiguous to gauge a reaction of some sort from the audience. Well, three parts are still always interesting and is an essence of storytelling, story writing, having that chunk of beginning, middle and end. But for me in this film, perhaps not. Yep, that's it. Now onto reviews. Critics are critics and are giving out scores around the six out of 10 range with leaning towards lower scores. We see some with expectations and some relating to the other films in this franchise when they critique. The critics are saying best film in the series, but that's not saying much. Sluggish runtime, bizarre pacing, strong movie filled with excitement. Audiences are having more fun with scores between eight and nine out of 10 whether this is because they enjoyed finding a new aspect of snow or just enjoy the series itself, I'll never know. Someone else can figure that part out. Audiences are saying loved it. Great movie. Coriolanus is cute. Cinematography and acting were great. Not as action-packed as the others and also extremely predictable. 
I don't know why someone would comment extremely predictable when this was a prequel and they certainly didn't predict that there was going to be less action. So 4 out of 10 my butt. I believe everything was great. Design was good. The actors were pretty good. Story was good. Part 1 and 2 amazing. Part 3 unnecessary. I enjoyed the other movies. I probably should have rewatched them before this. But you know, it's fine. The action was interesting. I enjoyed the film. If you're a fan, you should give it a shot. Even if you're not, still give it a shot. I hear it's faithful to the books. Anyway, for me, it's like 7.5 out of 10. Thank you to Belgrave Cinema. If you feel like enjoying a movie, why don't you pop on down? 145 Dumeric Street. See you again next week. This was Screen Time on Tune 106.9, going to the credits.